netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from fxguide.com. Hi, I'm Mike Seymour, and welcome to this FX Podcast. In the lead-up to the Oscars, we thought it'd be great to talk to some of the visual effects supervisors who are in contention for this year's Oscar race. We're interested to talk about the films, though of course we've covered nearly all of them on FX Guide. So we're interested to discuss not just their films, but the process of what it means to be a visual effects supervisor. How that role has worked for them, how it interacted on this particular film, and also how their process actually works. The first of our visual effects supervisors in this series is Dan DeLeo, who was the visual effects supervisor on Avengers Endgame. This is a phenomenally successful film, both with three billion-ish receipts at the box office, but also just as a culmination of so many of the intricate plot lines of the Marvel Universe. Dan was actually visual effects supervisor not only on this film, but the uh, preceding Infinity War, which, as you'll hear, isn't actually part one, uh, as well as other great Marvel films such as A Winter Soldier and uh, Captain America Civil War. I spoke to Dan not only about those films, but as I said a moment ago, his process, how he goes about doing these things. And I started by actually discussing with him how he breaks down a script and what he does when he first gets such an incredibly visual effects heavy script as the script he got for Avengers Endgame. Thanks so much for agreeing to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Oh, no, my pleasure. So I was wondering if I could just uh, start by actually discussing your process as uh, a supervisor, because obviously through the course of what has to be about, what, a 25-year career, obviously you've done an enormous amount of films, but obviously these last few years you've done some of the biggest uh, visual effects films uh, the industry's ever seen, obviously, of course, with uh, Endgame. And I'm just wondering, when you when you get a script as a supervisor with such a clear expectation that it's going to be um, incredibly visual effects heavy. What, what is your process? Is it just sitting down and reading it as a, as like a, uh, somebody just appreciating it for story or are you like immediately into taking notes? Uh, well, usually I like to read it through, you know, just to get the story and feel the story before I'll start kind of breaking it down. You know, it's, it's, it's good. I think the, to kind of separate it in that way for the creative, you know, versus kind of the, the process, you know? And so, you know, when I go through it, you know, initially, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get a sense that, you know, you'll start seeing it, you know, in your brain and your mind's eye for a lot of the, what you'll, you know, what will eventually become visual effects. And then, you know, you kind of, you'll, you'll kind of get your kind of opinions of what, what the looks are going to be and what, what the, you know, kind of animation or kind of the feel of the characters might be in conjunction with any kind of, uh, artwork that's been generated and then you know when you get down into the breaking down process you know then then you can go line by line and then kind of you know take what you've imagined on the first pass and then break that down into the number of shots that you think will be into the film so uh, the stage you were reading say the scripts for uh in particular obviously endgame how close was that script to the sort of version that ended up on the screen, notwithstanding, of course, editing? But I mean, did the script change a lot? Was it a complete script at the stage that you were first uh, enjoying the that first read? Yeah, it was something I think, you know, between the two films, because we shot them, Infinity War and Endgame yeah. together, you know, it was something that, you know, as, as the story evolved and 
in Infinity War than the the story then evolved in Endgame. You know, so I think it was something that we always, you know, there were key pieces that we knew were going to happen. Um, you know, as you know, Disney, you knew what was going to happen. You know, at the end, there'd be the final battle. Thanos would show up. So, from a visual effects perspective, you know, we, we knew we were going to do that. You know, and, you know, knowing that, um, you know, you knew Cap was going to fight Thanos. You know, you know, Cap was going to pick up Molinier. Yeah, you, you, from the beginning, there are key key moments you knew what would happen, but you know, it definitely went through some evolution from you know what we discovered in Endgame and, and the type of character Thanos became, and then you know, what kind of you know perspective that that movie became. Right, where you, initially it was something more of a straight ahead Avengers movie, and it's you know Thanos kind of you know kind of the test came back on Thanos, then Infinity War became something that was very much a kind of a Thanos driven movie, kind of almost driven from the, the villain's point of view, which, you know, then contrasted nicely in the end game where you kind of then pushed everything towards, you know, kind of re, you know, spending time with the original Avengers again. So, you know, it's, you know, from a visual effects standpoint, you know, it, it, it pretty much, we kind of had an early idea of what we were going to do. Um, but then it changed, you know, the change, you know, where it changed the most was like some of the adventures with the, um, with the different teams, you know, Joe Russo always called it a time heist, you know, kind of the idea that they would go back in time and steal, steal the stones, but you know, the, the adventures changed a bit. So, you know, you kind of, you know, earlier versions had, you know, Natasha and Clint and Rhodey and, and uh, Nebula all flying off together on their mission. Then they split up in the past. So you ended up on uh, Morag where it was still kind of covered in water. And, uh, you know, because if you look at kind of Guardians of the Galaxy and, that scene we revisited and you can see like coral in the set so it was underwater so there was like this whole underwater adventure we prevised uh because the way the movies were being shot and there was shot scenes from endgame being shot first so we started previsiting um endgame sequences before infinity war sequences and then, then they decided they wanted to shoot the movies a little more sequentially so, things changed that way in that regard I can't imagine maintaining that amount of complexity of both sort of narrative arcs, but then of course just the details of how you're going to execute them. In um, but but I'll come back to that before I leave where I was at. The the thing that interests me as well is when you obviously read a script, it's not written like a novel; it's written like a script. It's basically dialogue, and yet these films are so graphic, so visual. At what point, uh, like when you're reading that script, do you have any visualizations from either like drawings or uh, I guess I'd, it'd be way before previous, but like what visuals are you sort of working with? Because, you know, a script might say that they're fighting, but like the staging of that is so much of what makes the films brilliant. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, you know, the initial pass, you know, you're just, you know, you're kind of as a fan of comic books and a fan of the films, you know, and having worked on the, a couple of them before, you know, working on these, you know, you, you kind of have the, you know, you, you kind of know what the, the rules are for the characters, you know, especially for, from a comic book perspective. So, you know, what, you know, Cap's powers are and Iron Man's powers and, and knowing that, you know, for each film, you always kind of want to come up with something new for them. So you kind of keep that in mind as well. Right. So as you're reading it, you kind of start imagining what the fights would be. You know, you, you know what the powers are, but then it's like, you know, Tony's going to, you know, Tony's going to get a new suit again. So what can you, what can you do with that? And, you know, and you look at what, you know, and Tony's, you know, his obsessions always been, you know, kind of one upping is, you know, his suits based on what he's learned from the past. Right. So it's, you know, he's in the, you know, the liquid metal suit, you know, the, everything we did in infinity war, you know, he knew he tried every weapon he could to kind of, you know, get to Thanos. And so, you know, and it ultimately 
saved his life, but then, you know, get into the next film, you start thinking about, you know, what was originally kind of the liquid metal forming the shield. Now he's got more of a, you know, kind of a light energy, you know, shield going in it. So you're always kind of thinking of like, you know, how you can upgrade the characters, what they can do now, knowing what they've done before. Uh, you know, it's just kind of, you know, you, you kind of get a chance to get to know them too, working on like the civil war and things like that. So you, you kind of know, imagine what their perspectives would be and kind of the sequences you're designing and, and kind of knowing, you know, from that perspective, what they would do in a fight or a, or a scene. If I could swing now to sort of the technical aspects, like I think one of the most remarkable things about both films is just the way in which Thanos plays as a character. And it is both obviously, a you know, Josh Brolin has clearly delivered a great performance and I take nothing away from that. But but the, the astounding thing is that you've delivered a digital character that has uh, nuance and the audience is almost kind of rooting for, although in a perverse way, of course, we want to see him defeated at the same time. And I'm wondering like that, that couldn't have been there from the outset. So it obviously came from those, some of it from that early test and how much fidelity you could get through. And yet, did that change the arc then of how you decided to sort of play out visually Thanos? Because it, it is just remarkable how much performance is coming through. You know, I think it was, it was a couple of things that we, when we started, uh, you know, we knew Thanos would be a big thing for, for infinity. Probably knew Marvel would be a big thing for the uh, game, but yeah, we, we kind of, you know, you imagine um, Thanos is kind of this kind of very arch one, you know, very broad in his performance. And when we first, uh, you know, kind of first were working in design, Ryan Minerding kind of came to me and said, hey, what can we do to you know, help you out? You know, so they're kind of refining the design for, for Thanos and Ryan's in charge of Marvel's look dev department. And they said, well, you know, make him, more look, make him look more like Josh Brolin because the more you can, you know, you can the way the software works and the retargeting works, you know, if you're not really, you know, pushing that, you know, pushing the retargeting, basically going from Brolin's face to, you know, the, the CG you know, the Thanos' face, if you're not pushing too hard, then more of that performance will come through. And that's where how Brolin you know, became more present in, in Thanos' design. And then it was something when we did the test, you know, we, the test day was kind of the first day that Brolin, could sit with the Russos and really kind of talk about the character. So we we were motion capturing that day with the helmet cam, and what we did is you know they would you know, we picked out lines from the script and you know, from kind of, one of the earlier scripts and say okay we need you know two two or three of these lines we, we'd like to kind of test out and and so we got those. But what we did is that they started talking about the character and and we just left the motion capture running during that and the helmet cam running during that. So what we ended up doing is kind of looking at what we shot and came back and what, you know, what we actually did in the test were kind of, you know, these kind of more kind of introspective performances as Josh was kind of playing with the character and trying to understand the character. And so, you know, instead of that kind of big arch villain, it became this kind of, you know, small, you know, this kind of more internalized, more thoughtful performance that, you know, Josh was experimenting with at the time. And so, you know, we said, well, this is really great. You know, it was, it was, you know, we kind of picked it from a technical standpoint because the performance is really subtle and, you know, it's like, it's something that, you know, so if we can kind of get the amount of detail in the performance from this, from this very subtle reading, then we should be fine for everything else. And then, you know, once you saw that subtle reading and how much, you know, all, you know, what's the detail of what his performance came through it, you know, that's what kind of really, you know, sent the, you know, kind of launched the character, you know, in terms of kind of became, becoming what he was. And, 
you know, and then carrying that forward all the way in the end game, you know, there's these, just these subtle things of like, you know, you got after he defeats cap and, and, you know, cap gets back up and stands against Thanos, you know, you know, cap standing alone. And there's just this awesome little shot of just, you know, Brolin just kind of half smirking, looking at the ground, you know, like, you know, what's this, you know, human piece he's doing. And it's like, you know, it's just, you just get these, all these amazing performances from Thanos where he's not even saying things sometimes. And you're, you're kind of, you know, just getting, you're reading exactly what's going on in, in, in Josh's mind as he's performing it. And, and as astounding as it is that that, you know, performance is so nuanced and so great, it was even more astounding to me when I first discovered that in in the film, in Endgame, you split this between DD and Weta. And I only say that not to disparage either of them, but that you'd think if you managed to nail that, that you would, like, that would be a company and a process. But DD and Weta can't share rigs. DD and Weta are great companies, very cooperative, but they just technically don't share the same pipeline. So you have basically then had these incredibly nuanced performances being delivered by almost two, not completely different, but separate pipelines. Was that, and that just seems like a, not an odd choice, but like a brave choice. Well, it was something that we knew based on the amount of work and the time we had, you know, and also knowing that, you know, Thanos had to work is that we, you know, we wanted to pursue it on two fronts, right? It was decision, you know, Jen Underdahl, uh, our visual effects producer and I talked about and said, Hey, let's, you know, let's not put all, all our eggs in one basket so that we can, you know, kind of make sure we're okay. Right. And, and the movie could divide up into a way that, you know, there's the kind of the battle at the end of infinity war. And there's a lot of the talking stuff you know, earlier in the film. Um, so, you know, there's a logical ways in which to split it up. And, um, you know, something both companies came back and, you know, we would kind of, you know, as they kind of made advancements, we would kind of leverage, you know, we told them this from the beginning, you know, it was going to be something that, you know, as, as the people, you know, that we'd see a test, we would share it back and forth. So you could sort of share face shapes and, and uh, kind of examples of what you've done with the sculpt and, you know, how the face moves. But, you know, they definitely had to then reinterpret that into their pipeline uh, to do it. And so it was, you know, it's definitely something that was, you know, interesting to manage, you know, because you always had to make sure that whatever notes you gave with one company, you know, you gave them in a way that it would be interpreted into their pipeline that you would stay on model with the character. And then what was nice with, you know, we got back to the end game, you know, you, you know, you had the, you know, the infinity wars R and D for end game. And so, you know, you had, you know, the different pipelines work in a way that, you know, with DD, they had, you know, kind of that machine, machine learning algorithm that the basis of their pipeline and so, you know, by the time they got to end game, the whole idea with the machine learning is that you can train, you know, the solver to kind of, you know, the more information the solver gets, the better it works. And so they had an entire movie to train, you know, Thanos for the DD shots in, in, in end game. And then Weta went back in and then basically made this new pipeline called uh, Deep Shapes that was able to go back in, you know, similar to uh, some of the things that DD had done in the first film to kind of get even more subtle movements into their Thanos. So, you know, just because we, we, we kind of nailed it in, in Infinity War didn't mean we go, didn't go back in and just try to push it that much more. Free again. Yeah, it's just that, you know, the deep shape pipeline at Weta is very much a fax pipeline dating all the way back to the early stuff that was done through Gollum. And then it got a DD's pipeline with Masquerade is, mm-hmm. is really not a fax pipeline. And, mm-hmm. and of course, it just doesn't show on screen, right? Which I guess is in the end really what the visual effects supervisor's kind of key one of the, your key roles is that maintaining this completely 
consistent look, although you've got completely different technical pipelines feeding it. Yeah, no, it was tricky, you know, and again, you're going to kind of share back and forth and you know, find logical places in the film that you'd maybe switch over from one dance to the other. So you'd have a little bit of a little bit of time away from them. So if there were any kind of differences between it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be cognizant of it as you're watching the film. You, you also had a major sort of leap forward with Hulk because, um, you know, Hulk is now, uh, in the film presented very differently than the, uh, than the kind of more, uh, how can I put this uh, thuggish version of the original kind of uh, Hulk that we saw? Again, this was a, a different pipeline to both of the two we just discussed. Was that, um, did you sort of have any concerns that once you suddenly make this character have an articulated, uh, articulated uh, speech and, and thought process that it just wasn't going to work because we just kind of knew this guy to be, you know, smashing Hulk? Yeah, I think it. Well, we did a test early on, and so you know, some of it's some of it's in the time travel sequence in the, in the film now. Is that we we did a test all the way back um, when they were still working on Ragnarok, and they had a motion capture day with Mark, and so we we're you know, Russo's and I were on the phone here in L.A. calling to down down to Australia, and then Taika and, and Mark were on the other side. And, you know, we just the same thing like we did with with Josh. We wanted to get a little bit of you know mocap you know, get, you know, kind of helmet cam and mocap data we could right. play with. So we just kind of came up with this little scene where it was basically, we had, um, you know, he was trying to operate a computer and his hands were too big and he couldn't make it work, you know, cause he's, he's, you know, he's the Hulk, you know, with banners intellect living, you know, in a, in a human sized world, but you know, Hulk not really fitting into it. And so he does a little fun little gag where he's trying to work on the computer and, and, uh, then he kind of starts getting angry like the Hulk and tipping things over and, you know, just kind of understanding what that character would be. And it was the same kind of thing that, you know, we, you know, we're, we're using that to find the character and early on. And so that, you know, kind of the direction that Marcus had established then, you know, we could like bring into the the character of the smart Hulk, you know, and then kind of build on it when, once we got to end game, uh, it was something that, you know, it's where you had, you know, Thanos be having these really incredibly subtle performances. You had, um, Smart Hulk, you know, with with Mark, you having being kind of very broad in a lot of places, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of much more smiling, much more happy, yeah. And so, you know, you we, you know, we had to kind of then now make sure that you know the elasticity of the face and all that didn't kind of fall into the same kind of thing where it's you know you you know what was nice about where what where Thanos pushed everything and then you know Smart Hulk you kind of picked up after that is that you're not living in this blend shaped world anymore where you're kind of going from pose to pose, you know, you're now, you know, really getting in and understanding what the, the subtleties of what your actors giving you, you know, beyond just what the dots are doing, being able to go in and kind of go down to like more of a per pixel level and understand what the, the subtleties of the face are doing to kind of pull you out of that uncanny valley. And, you know, you're, you know, you're kind of getting that crooked smile that, that Ruffalo has, you know, you're really kind of really getting the, Beyond just the performance and the mouth moving, you're getting the actual spark of life in the face from what all the muscles are doing, and I think that's what kind of takes it to the, takes it you know beyond beyond what we've all done before and into into new ground. I mean, clearly Thanos uh, and Hulk had to be CG characters. There's no sort of sensible way to approach them otherwise. In that idea of getting these really now incredible performances out of the faces, did you? 
in any odd shots or areas have to get any of the less uh, stylized characters, in other words, the more kind of humanoid-looking, normal people-type uh, characters done. Obviously, there are bodies for digital doubles, but I'm presuming you also are doing some faces for some characters, uh, Captain Marvel also you know, flying and, and uh, destructing stuff. Was there any shots that got uh, sort of closer to camera than a kind of a distant wide shot on their faces? Yeah, I mean, we... You know, again, it's pretty much every trick in the book. You know, it's something that, you know, Captain Marvel. You know, they, they, we, you know, because we were shooting for such a long period of time, Captain Marvel. We just had her suit from the Captain Marvel movie, and so you know, as we kind of went through it, and we knew the, you know, there was this time time jump between Captain Marvel's movie and and, and to ours. You know, it was something that you know the Russo brothers were like, well, she would have a new uniform, so. You know, in and between the beginning of Endgame and you come back five years later, there's, there's another uniform. So it's like never there was never a Captain Marvel uniform that existed in the real world. Uh, right. You know, like a real a real version of it. It was always CG, and the same thing with the time suits. You know, they never were actually manufactured. They were always something that was CG, and you had to track on the on each of the characters in every single shot. So, you know, that was kind of the stuff that was kind of up close. You know, you always try to use the actor's head as much as you possibly could, but then you get into the, uh, the final battle, you know, and there's portions where, you know, the, the complexities of getting all the actors together. Um, you know, we did our best and there's days, you know, like for the Avengers assemble shot, you know, that when you cap finally says the words, you know, that you know, 99% of everybody is, is actually there, but, you know, when we couldn't get everybody there, then there would always be the kind of the odd little, you know, the, you know, the, the, um, the digi double that was kind of filling in for the actor that wasn't there that day or, or kind of patching in, you know, like a stand in in the costume and putting Dr. Strange's face, you know, over like a stand in and things like that to make sure everybody was in the same shot. I imagine that it's not just the availability of the actor. Um, but of course, in a, in a staging shot, you hope that you've got the the placement of the actor's faces relative to the camera correct for perspective. But then, the one that we don't tend to discuss as much is just lighting. Like you cannot, um, you know, film them in an environment that is realistic in any sense of light. And so you've got to shoot them on some kind of stage with artificial light and presumably some kind of green screen or whatever. Um, is there a lot of work in doing doubles of the faces just simply so that you can aid in relighting the faces? Because otherwise they're just not going to sit in the shot. Yeah, and that's what we did quite a lot too. There's, you know, there's shots with, you know, with Panther running the gauntlet. And, you know, we, we we went out and shot, and, you know, and again, it's, 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 it's the eternal problem of, um, you know, shooting on the stage, right? And that's kind of the... There was kind of the conceit of the battle that you that the idea that you know when Thanos kind of shot the missiles at the compound, it, it kind of served as a dramatic piece too. It was kind of his arrival on the scene, but it also showcased the idea, or at least established the idea that there was so much dust in the atmosphere it diffused the light. So we weren't, you know, we weren't shooting daylight, full daylight scenes on the stage and not being able to get the sun far enough, you know, get a light far enough back that I can actually replicate the, the light from the sun. So, Which is actually you know, quite, you a, quite a different to the Infinity you, War battle, right? Which is very much an exterior. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then the Infinity War stuff, you know, for a large portion of it, we actually shot outside, which was yeah. great. You know, in Titan, you know, it was, the the set was a bit smaller. I mean, we, you know, had a bigger lighting rig to kind of, you know, so we could kind of control the light a little bit more because on Titan there you had, you know, the guardians together with Tony or you had Tony one-on-one with Thanos. So it was, a, it was a smaller area in which you, you, you could 
you know, we could replace more of the background when the, you know, the, the diverging, you know, focus of the light started giving itself away a little bit more you know, and they can you know, kind of, kind of shore up that. But with the kind of the large, you know, large areas with, um, with, you know, the, the crater at the end of the end game, you know, you, you couldn't, you couldn't pull that cheat off, you know, the sun, it always gave itself away. You know, your shadows would always give it, give it away and how the light interacted with their, with the actors standing next to each other and how it played on them. So, you know, it's something that we, we, we kind of, def, you know, definitely decided on a look to help us, you know, drive to a place that, you know, could, could functionally service what we would for we're photographing on stage. But then when you, you know, exactly so, and you can't, you, 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 you know, sometimes you get to the point where you're, you're realizing it's something that is just easier to, you know, do in CG. And that's, you know, something that, you know, working with Matt Aiken over at Weta, you know, sometimes, you know, you would just notice, you know, some characters kind of just disappearing and or not necessarily disappearing, but not actually being, you know, what you photographed and is now a CG character <laughs> sitting in the shot a lot better than it was before. But, you know, you, you, know, you get, you know, working on so many shots and with the 40, 14 different vendors, you know, you're just kind of trying to go through dailies as quickly as you can, uh, which is basically, you know, all day to yeah. get it done. But it was something that, you know, you just go, you know, the shot would show up and you're kind of like, was he really standing there? And you'd pull up the original plate and it's like, oh, no, they fucked it out. We um and we discussed breaking down a script a little, and we discussed obviously the 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 technical sort of consistency requirement. But the other thing I think that's really pivotal in a supervisor's role is knowing when to pick what. And and if I could just use the example of uh, Fat Thor for a second, so you you've, we've already established in this conversation astonishing work in in Thanos, astonishing work in Hulk. You, you just didn't go for a digital Thor. You went for a fat suit, right? And I'm wondering, like, it, was mm-hmm. that a easy decision? Like, because that decision, clearly you could have gone the other way and clearly it would have worked because we've, you know, you've proven that with Thanos and, and Hulk. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's something that uh, for us, it was, you know, it was something that, you know, you've seen, you know, a lot of fat suits over the years that have, that have worked really well, you know, and, and it's something that, you know, we, we, you know, working with legacy, you know, when the legacy has been with Marvel, I think all the way back to the first Iron Man for all yeah. the, for the only Iron Man suit, you know, we, we know the guys really well, we know what, you know, they can do. And we talked to them about it and it's like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. Right. So they were super excited about it. And it's something too, that, you know, when you put the fat suit on Chris Hemsworth, he'll move now, like he, you know, he has that extra weight. So it's not like you're, you're pantomiming, you know, Chris isn't pantomiming what it is to feel heavy. He's got that heavy suit on. So I think, you know, that ultimately adds to the performance, you know, same way we would shoot with, you know, Ruffalo, you know, not putting him on a motion capture, say putting Ruffalo on a, on the set with the other actors is that they can, you know, they're, they're in that situation and they're in there, they're living in that situation. So same thing with Chris, with the, with the suit, he's, he's living with that suit, you know, and, and, and feeling it and, you know, and everybody else is in the room with him too, you know? So we had, you know, we had, you know, the, the before and afters on that scene or, you know, it's, you've got Chris Hemsworth and the fat suit and kind of the, what we did to make it easy for, for a legacy is, you know, if you look at it from behind, there's like a big seam up the back where they've kind of stitched them into it. So we painted that out, but you look at the behind the scenes. So you've got Chris Hemsworth in this fat suit with this big seam up the back and you got Mark Ruffalo standing on a platform with a helmet cam. And then you got Sean Gunn, you know, squatting on the ground with rocket. <laughs> and then you've got uh you know, Korg, you know, played by one of our motion capture actors on, on the, on the couch. And so it's this crazy scene of like, you know, 
Hemsworth surrounded by, you know, a science experiment that you know, ultimately <laughs> comes off and, and plays as funny. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a brilliant film, and I, I, I wish you all the best for the Oscars. But I've got to ask you one last question. For, for the narrative of Marvel, this had, even in the title, this kind of end combining, tying up of knots, uh, kind of a, uh, uh, an end, of, not of an era, but of an end of like a kind of an arc of stories. And yet, of course, it isn't in the Marvel Universe, the end of what Marvel's doing. For you, did this feel end-ish, conclusion-ish, or, or was it just, because, you know, this isn't obviously your first and hopefully not your last Marvel film, like, what did it feel like for you as a supervisor? Just another of a major sequence, or did it have any kind of conclusion uh, to it in terms of solving so many plot lines? Well, I think it, it, it was many. It was manifold in a way, right? Because it was something that we were in. You know, I came in. We finished Civil War, and I think we about had about a week off before we kind of went back in and started on Infinity War. And it was something where I was in the writers' room. And, you know, the Russos were there, and the Marcus McFeely were there, and then Kevin was there, and you know, you kind of, you know, you're you're kind of feeling it. You know, is it kind of like this is, you know, this this is this is what they've built to you know, as, yep. as a, as a company and as a film studio. And so you're, you're feeling the weight and it was kind of funny because it was, you know, it, it was, it was in that meeting where they were talking about like infinity war part one and part two. And, and then Joe's like, you know, Joe says, I'm like, I don't, I don't think we should make it seem like these movies are a continuation of each other. And then Kevin's like, you know, I always wanted to call it end game, you know? So Kevin's like had it in his head for a while, you know, and it was a good, amazing thing where you're sitting there and, and, you know, Kevin picks up the phone and calls somebody. And then like, you know, three hours later, you know, it's announced online that, you know, they're not you know playing, that they're not direct sequels. And, you know, the, you know, end game wasn't now the untitled Avengers movie. Right. So it's kind of a, kind of a surreal experience. you kind of seeing Hollywood happen in real time. And so, but you knew that it was, it was, um, you knew something that was, it was very important. You know, it was something that it was, you know, you could, you can feel how much Kevin had actually thought about it. Right. He, he had that title in his head for a while. And so he, he knew it was coming to this, right? And so you, you're, you know, and having worked with them, and you know, it's just, you know, having worked in so many films with everyone, you you become part of the family, you become part of the, you know, company, you know, become, you know, aware of the vision, and then you kind of, you know, feel the honor of being part of the vision, right? And so you're, you're carrying that forward, and so. And you've also had experience with the other characters and you fall in love with the characters on the other movies. So like, you know, with Winter Soldier, you know, we had Falcon and Cap and Matt and, you know, all these characters, you know, you kind of put them in jeopardy and, you know, crash the building down on them and you have them in Civil War. And so you, you kind of felt the arc, you know, at least for me, I felt the arc across, across the films. And so, you know, there is this responsibility and you love the characters and, you know, seeing Ultron, you know, Cap almost picks up the hammer and it's like, you know, again, in this one, it's like, you know, one way or another, Cap is going to pick up that hammer. I'm going to have him smack Thanos in the head, right? Because you, you know, it's, it's been, you know, especially with Infinity War, you've got this big emotional arc for the fans and the characters and everyone disappearing and, you know, Thanos deserves it. And so, you know, you really get invested in, in kind of the, the emotions of what the characters feeling are feeling as you're kind of building them into, you know, what you're doing with the visual effects and what everybody in editorial and, you know, the entire team, I think, is feeling. And at a certain point, you're just, you kind of forget, you get just buried in the movie and buried in the, you know, in kind of the day to day and, and the amount of work and just trying to get through it and get it and get, you know, get it done. And it was something that, you know, like when Infinity War came out, you know, you, you knew it was going to have, you know, some kind of weight on people. 
And, uh, you know, but when, you know, when Thor, but we were kind of blind, at least myself, I was kind of blind to it, where it was like, you know, Thor shows up in Wakanda and you're seeing it in a, in a, in a theater and like everybody goes nuts and you're yeah. kind of like, holy cow, you know, they're really, this is, they're into it right there. They're, it's working. And then, you know, you get to, uh, the end of the movie in Infinity War and, and the camera's got that little floaty bit it does at the end. And, you know, kind of everybody's disappeared and they're on Titan and the camera's floating towards Tony and there's people in the audience going, no, 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 no. And then it just kind of, then it floats back over to Peter Parker. And then it's like, everybody's like, no, everybody like really starts losing it. And so, you know, you become aware how invested everybody is. And, you know, you know, in your head, you know, it's going to be okay in the next movie, but you know, you, you, you carry that forward and, and you kind of, we kind of knew going into it, what it was going to mean to everybody and, and what we needed to make it be. And, you know, like just everybody coming out for the, from the portals, you know, it was something that when we designed it, it was something that it, it had to have the weight it had to have, you know, it had to be the, it had to be the cathartic moment before you got into the front of the battle of having everybody come back, you know, and it was just kind of, it's through pre through post and, you know, it just had to be this magical moment with you know, and everything all came together. So it's, you know, you, you definitely felt like it was what they've built towards and what we needed to pay off and, you know, let's put it this way. So kind of the short answer is um, each Marvel movie has code names, right? Yep. So Infinity War and Endgame, the code name was Mary Lou. And it was based on Mary Lou Retton and the idea of like sticking the landing and getting, you know, like in the gymnastics. So Mary Lou was, <laughs> you know, the code name, but it was like basically stick the landing. And so the idea for these movies is we had to stick the landing and deliver the movies that paid off all the other films. Well, again, good luck with the Oscars. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it was uh, an astonishing effort. So, uh, again, congratulations. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for this special episode of the FX Podcast. I'm Mike Seymour. I want to thank uh, Jim Shen for his editing, obviously John and the team here at FX Guide, but also particularly want to thank Dan for taking time out. He was actually on set and uh, he was very generous in giving us time to discuss his uh, his perspective on both being a visual effects supervisor and, of course, the spectacular work by 14 vendors on Avengers Endgame. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.